This is your host, Terry Noland, and this is your community. Come on in, grab a seat, and strap in. All right, podcast family, we are in for an absolute treat today. I'm going to tell you I found the best of the best when it comes to thinking about the societal impacts of reading rates. And the best of the best is a guest speaker that I've got with us today. I've got Dr. John Weibel, who is from the Center for Literacy and Learning in Louisiana. And John, I am thrilled to have you here today. When I was thinking about societal impacts, I couldn't help but think of you and the work that your center is doing, not only in Louisiana, but on a national scale as well. John, welcome to the podcast. Terry, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. It is truly exciting to have this conversation, and I appreciate the kind words. We have an outstanding team at the center. There's about 35 of us. We're proud that we have close to 400 years of combined educator experience on our staff from birth through life. And one of the things that we're especially proud of and part of our topic here today is we also have on our staff, governmental relations, public policy, community engagement, all of those key tangibles and, and perspectives that you really need to transform the conversation around early literacy and literacy throughout life. Well, I know you and the entire staff there are making big moves there in Louisiana. Absolutely. John, you say, I, you know, I've had a chance to sit down with you and you say to yourself, I, I'm not an educator. You know, you come right out and say that fully, but you're somebody that comes to the table, brings your seat at the table with this perspective of caring about literacy in this grand way. Tell us about your journey, John, and, and what brought you to the seat that you're in today. Sure. So my entire career, almost 30 years now, has been spent around community programs, enrichment programs, really that grassroots mobilization engaging multiple disciplines and partners to really look at how do we equip individuals and families and communities, and most importantly, our children and our students with the skills and the resources that they need to be successful throughout life. And, you know, I tell people, Terry, all of the time, I feel like my entire career, I've been planning and preparing unknowingly until, you know, about three years ago for this opportunity, because I truly believe the mission and the work that we're about here at the center is really the foundation for all of the struggles and challenges and the things that we hear a lot about in many different circles throughout our community and, and such that, you know, we're really truly addressing those foundational needs to help individuals be successful in their journey. And John, that's what I appreciate, I think, so much about your journey that brought you to where you are today. You've got that perspective of community programming, community development, bringing 
all the stakeholders to the table. And if we're going to talk about literacy transformation, it's going to start within our communities. It's going to start with bringing parents, educators, businesses, entrepreneurs together, legislators to be able to make impacts in improving literacy rates because there is a greater societal impact at stake. I don't have to ask you, John, but you agree with that, right? Absolutely. And that's why we're working so hard, Terry, to build a longer table, to bring more people to that table and to have meaningful conversations around what are the solutions to economic poverty and, and generations of poverty, generations of, of social outcomes that are putting many of our families at risk. What are factors that are keeping so many of our families marginalized and, and keeping them disconnected from economic and workforce and social opportunities that really, if we can open those doors and connect those bridges for them, then it creates a stronger community, a stronger state, a stronger country. And that's what we have to really work toward. And so that's why we're building that longer table and we're having all of those folks come to the table with us to talk about solutions. Well, and I love the visual imagery of a longer table. Let's get into it, John, as far as our topic today. And uh, as literacy leaders, we need to see this urgency that there is in literacy because of everything you just talked about, those societal impacts, the workforce opportunities, the societal impacts that happen with healthcare and so many other issues. And I know one of the first things that you and I both truly believe in that's the educator. We both truly believe that transformation is going to come because we equip educators, because we equip schools and districts and classrooms. And tell me your perspective on just acknowledging the work of the educator and what they do day in and day out. And that's exactly it. That's where it starts. Literacy, educational attainment, educational success starts in the classroom. And how well do we support and nurture and grow highly qualified, highly motivated educators? How do we prioritize putting that educator in every classroom that we know will help challenge and grow our students? And I can tell you, you know, being married to an educator who is following generations of educators in her own family. It's so important. There's so many things that we can do in that classroom with that high quality educator, but we can't ignore the factors and the influences that happen outside of the classroom for that student. Well, in those outside factors, it starts in the home, it starts in those communities, and it starts in the brains of these kids, those networks that are built in their brains. There's so much that goes into this. And I applaud you for acknowledging the work of our educators, but acknowledging also they can't do it alone. That's why the table has to be big and we've got to set that table. Let's jump in here as far as thinking about, I know we kind of want to take this micro view of literacy and what that means. And tell us more about your perspective of this 
micro view when it comes to the urgency of literacy. Certainly. And so one of the things, if you've ever been around me very much at a state house or capital or up in DC, it's very likely you're going to hear me say, hey, We've legislated the classroom and the educator extensively. <laughs> We've educated the classroom and the teacher a lot. And certainly we have to come to that realization that there's, as I mentioned earlier, so many of those other factors that influence that learning, not the least of which, which you reference is that brain development from birth, really prior to birth through that eight-year-old age where we know a significant amount of that development has occurred. So what we want to do is we want to give that strong start. We want to give that strong foundation. And we know certainly the teacher, as we acknowledged earlier, is the focal point of that process. But as we look at this larger view and we think about, let's say, for example, let's start in the home. You know, as we try to build programs at the center that really supports family engagement, that piece of it is so important. And, you know, I use the word engagement intentionally because I think, as we know, there's some science behind teaching young learners to read and there's an expertise that is needed. But what we need in our homes and our families, Terry, is that level of engagement. And so the first thing to achieving that is to recognize that particularly in a state like Louisiana, many other states, our parents are often struggling readers themselves. And so how do we support them in that journey to engage with their children, to read with their children, to do those kinds of things? And then, you know, as we look at other disciplines as such across the landscape, whether it's policy, legislation, and even in politics, helping all of those stakeholders understand that while it's always the default that we want to go to the classroom and say, hey, what can we do better in the classroom? How can we hold the educator to a higher level of standard? What can we do in our schools? And all of those things are important. I don't want to say they're not important, but I think what we're seeing over the last couple of years, especially with the pandemic and virtual learning and more in-home learning, is recognizing what we've been saying for a very long time and that there's many factors, many layers that really go into that student becoming a successful reader and a successful learner. You know, John, you made me think about even my own journey as a parent with my oldest son. And that journey was my husband was in the military. We were stationed overseas. He was enlisted. We didn't make much money. I would say we were below the poverty line as far as income. And my son at that time was three years old. I didn't have access to a lot of books in my home, but education was important to me. And I think that mirrors, you know, somebody may not be living in another country, but the circumstances of me as this young mother, husband was gone all the time. I didn't have access to a lot of books. Mm -hmm. And so parents might think, oh, well, we can't read because I can't buy the books or I don't have access to books. I want parents to know and hear that language development 
vocabulary development can happen when you're cooking together, when you're baking something, when you're walking down the street, when you're at the park playing, when you're interacting with your child during bath time and bedtime and helping them understand how to create rich literacy experiences that will feed in to that literacy development later on. I mean, do you see this as something that is important for our parents to know and understand? It is critically important that, uh, again, going back to engagement, you know, that ability to stimulate the brain development. We know from research, the games we play with infants and, and toddlers, whether it's peekaboo or kind of hide your face and reappear, all of those things are stimulating neuron growth and that development. And it's so critical at that age level. So that's why we focus really on an engagement piece. Now at the center, we go a step beyond than just saying, here are some books, which is important, very important. We also provide them some support and information and understanding through resources that how they can engage all of the things like you were just talking about. You know, when I was a young parent and I was going through my graduate program at LSU, one of the things I learned from my major professor that has nothing to do with my course of study and my master's was talking about parenting. And at the time, my oldest was maybe, I'm going to say around eight years old or so. And he gave me the best advice, Terry. And it was so simple. It doesn't matter what he wants to read, put in his hands what he wants to read. And so I immediately, you know, he was a big sports fan and still is. So I immediately got him a subscription to a magazine that was tailored to kids around sports. And he was just so excited. Of course, that's kind of a lost art today in 2022, the idea of the magazine coming every month. And he would read that thing from cover to cover. And with each of my three, I just helped them to discover what they were interested in and encourage that level of reading. But it goes back to what are the expectations at home? And certainly, you know, we've got to be supportive and realistic, if you will, that we just want that level of engagement and that support because we know from research that that will significantly increase that student's chance for success. Oh my goodness. I, I could talk about this for a long time. <laughs> you even made me think about, you know, and let them read the same thing over and over again. You don't have access to a yes. lot of books. You got access to one book. I can't even tell you how many times I read the No David books with my youngest son. <laughs> mm -hmm. The pages were worn out. I'm going to tell you. Yeah, you know, I can still see, and I'm surprised I can't recite word for word the book Giraffes Can't Dance. I'm having a moment here, but with my daughter in particular, it was like every night and it seemed like forever. We just read this same book when she was very young and you do get caught up in the day-to-day. -day. I mean, you're working, you're managing family and home and it's a lot. And, you know, I was in a situation where I was blessed with my wife and I co-parenting and so many of our young parents here in Louisiana and, and throughout our nation are often doing that on their own. And so it's even more important that we develop programs like what we're doing here in Louisiana called Louisiana Reads 
to really provide that support and to make it just as manageable and as accessible as possible. Well, that's great work for sure. Okay, one more point I just want to hit on real quick before we kind of zoom out for this macro view. We've Mm -hmm. talked a lot about the importance of family and home and rich literacy experiences for our kids. And we talked about those educators, but I want to zoom in and go micro once again about that preparedness for our educators because science tells us how we need to teach our kids to decode that word recognition. And I know there at the center, John, a lot of your staff, that's what they're focused on, coaching educators on that explicit teaching of decoding and word recognition for our students, building up vocabulary and language. Let's zoom really micro moment here on your perspective on that. That is so critical. And it really goes back to that idea of having that qualified, but supported educator in every classroom. We're really proud of the extensive work we've been doing here in partnership with the Louisiana Department of Education to support those coaches on the ground at the district and school level. It is critical. We're also proud of our policy efforts that support that on a larger scale, if you will. To go back just a little bit, and I may be getting into the macro a little bit, but it may be a good transition. But in 2019, our organization led an effort in partnership with the legislature to create an early literacy commission here in Louisiana. And from that commission came many of the recommendations based on the science of reading, based on success in other states very similar to our state and across the nation. And we started really building a strong legislative agenda. And over the last two sessions, one which just concluded a week or so ago, we were able to pass and enact legislation where every Louisiana classroom teacher in grades kindergarten through third grade will go through the science of reading within the next three to five years. We felt that was very important. We also had some pieces this year that really focused on teacher preparation, ensuring that those education majors at the university and college levels get the appropriate training in the science of reading to be certified uh, as an educator in our state. And part of that will go to the assessment of the uh, education major when they start seeking their certifications for K-5 in in Louisiana. And that law will take effect in a couple of years. So in the meantime, having our team of regional literacy specialists supporting those coaches across Louisiana and in other states is really critical to giving them the resources and the tools they need to be successful in the classroom. Reminds me of that big table, that visual image. That's a big table full of people that need to come together. All right, let's move over. I think we're setting the stage here for what we need to do to bring this community of people together, sitting around the table, legislators, community members, family members, advocates, educators, the whole gamut of who we need to bring to the table. But where I want to get to is why? Why? 
Why does this matter? Why is there such an urgency when it comes to literacy? What are the impacts that we're seeing beyond the classroom? Like what's out there that's happening in our in our workforce and in other things that are the result of children that didn't get what they need when it came to literacy and reading? Yeah, and, and great questions. And, you know, one thing I think I failed to mention at the Center for Literacy and Learning, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary this year, 30 years of providing advocacy and leadership around this issue. And, and I think it's important to know the backstory of how we began because of one parent who was an educator herself, but also saw that the unique learning challenges of her children were not being met in the classroom. And she really worked and started this movement that became the center. And that's important because when I came on board three years ago, three or four years ago, I saw the incredible record we have with working with educators, the classroom, our, our national institute, plain talk about literacy and learning. But there were a couple of missing pieces. One, that parent, that family engagement, which we talked about already. And the other was really that broader community and policy engagement. And we, I feel as though our charge and part of our, our responsibility to improve reading attainment for our students is to shift the conversation, shift it away from the classroom and make it more about the broader community about business and industry, about economic development, workforce opportunities. And, and that's been affirmed, uh, Terry, in what we hear from business and industry leaders really all across the country, how they're struggling for workforce. They're in struggling, uh, struggling for uh, an employable workforce with those basic skills and such. And, and that was affirmed for us when we did a series of lunch and learns around our state. And then we followed up with some surveys, and we really heard directly from those business and industry leaders across the state that literacy in this area that we're working on is one of the most significant barriers to getting the workforce that they need to expand, to create more job opportunity, and to make for a more prosperous Louisiana and country. And I think you're spot on in thinking about these impacts because that's where the urgency lies. We're not equipping our students with, I always talk about all the time about create, the need to create word feast instead of word famines for our students. Mm -hmm. And there are jobs out there in the marketplace that require a certain level of reading ability, a certain lexicon level, a certain lexicon that you need to come to the table with. And if our children can't read, haven't been taught how to decode our language, haven't been taught how to, you know, understand vocabulary development, all of these things, then they're not qualified to walk in and fill those roles in this ever-growing workforce. And it's it's making a, a huge impact on our economy as well. It truly is. Over over 90% of our respondents in the, the business and industry survey indicated literacy is a critical skill needed among the workforce. No surprise. 
And, you know, and when we talk about literacy attainment and such, and from a non-educator perspective, I always talk about, you know, it, it's one thing to be able to recite words off of a page, but when you get to, you know, when that student reaches fourth grade and beyond, and then we start talking about workforce, the ability to read, comprehend, and then retell in a critical manner is really what we need, especially in today's workforce. So it's, yes, I can, you know, using myself as an example, I can read words off of a page, but do I understand? And can I critically think around what I'm reading? And then of course, in the workforce, process that to make decisions or to complete tasks that are needed by my employer. And, and that's the piece, you know, that we are continuing to, to really focus on, to really help bring business and industry leaders together with policymakers to say, you know, we create tax incentives, economic incentives to attract business and industry to our state, like any other state does. But if we do not have the cool thinking, employable workforce, then, you know, certainly we can give everything away that we want. We want to attract those business and industry companies to our state if we can't fill those jobs that they need. And I even think to myself, I, there was a teacher I knew, well, I still know. And when she was working with students in third grade, she told me that these students, even in third grade, that were struggling to read, sometimes came to her and, and had this belief that they could only do certain things after high school. And she always breathed life into these students and helped them understand and know, hey, stick with me. I'm going to teach you how to read. I'm going to teach you how to think critically, all those things that you talked about and gave them a vision of being able to go into a trade after high school, go into college after high school. And she said, some of these students never even thought that was a possibility because of the impact that was going on with their reading. So I think there's a lot to say about giving kids even the vision of what they could do in the workforce. You know, that is, that is so important. And it makes me think about how many times I've been in front of leaders, students, and advocates with it, helping individuals understand, because I've, I've worked, you know, some of my advocacy throughout my career has been in the child welfare sector you know, whether it's through foster care and, and, and such and, and others and, and just understanding the challenges so many of our young people face that really for so many in, in, in our society are just unimaginable. But, you know, sometimes it really comes down very simplistically. Has anyone sat down with that child at any point in his or her life and said, you know, what are your goals? What do you want to be? What could you be? And, you know, and I think, you know, certainly this starts getting to, into the issue of, of equity, but it's, it's really about meeting that child where they are and helping them discover their potential and their own journey. You know, we're not, I'm not doing this work to create nuclear physicists and doctors and lawyers and all of those things, which are very important. I'm doing this work. So every child can unlock their potential 
and see their opportunity for success, however that looks for them. And, and I think going back to something you said about, you know, not even having that within their scope that, oh, I can pursue training, education, or other opportunities beyond high school. And so, you know, it, it, it seems, and I found a, a lot in my work that so many of our students, our children, quite honestly, no one's ever said, Hey, what is your goal? You know? And, and so I, I try to work whether I'm working with young professionals. I've worked with some first generation college students. I was a first generation college graduate myself. And, you know, we, we, we start with that vision board and, and that opportunity, what's your vision board for the next three months, six months, a year. And I think on, on many different levels, all of our students need that type of stimulation to really see the value in what they're trying to accomplish. And also with going back to the parent piece, helping parents understand how important that piece is for them as well. But, you know, to, to kind of bring us back, I know I got a little off track there, but to, to bring us back to what we're talking about, you know, we hear from some of our, our leaders with our community and technical college system here in, in Louisiana, which is a fantastic system of a student walking onto their campus first day, really significantly struggling as readers or functionally illiterate. And you wonder how are we getting students to that point in their lives without them having those foundational skills that I talked about earlier to be successful in whatever they choose to do. You know, your statements made me think of the quote, and I, I don't have next to me who said it right now, but the quote is, you cannot be what you cannot see. And so the idea of the vision board and, and letting, casting that vision for our students, okay, I got you. I got you. I know it's a struggle right now, but I'm going to, I'm fully resourced as an educator to teach you how to read our language. We're going to vision together. You know, that's what's needed. John, let's move in. We've talked a little bit about workforce, but there's other societal impacts like healthcare. Here, I think about the healthcare impact and you say to yourself, well, my goodness, how does reading and literacy affect healthcare? Where's the connection? But I know you're going to share with us why there's a connection. Sure. And, and, you know, Terry, this is one of those things where you, I sit back and reflect and think like, I can't imagine, I can't put myself in the shoes of an individual who cannot read, who's illiterate. And so, you know, I, I try to make sure I have that awareness about myself and that level of empathy. And, and, you know, I, I grew up, both of my parents had to learn English to go to school when they were five years old here in, in Louisiana, because all they spoke was French and you weren't allowed to speak French at school at that time. That was a, a big no-no. And, you know, my mother never really got past a fifth, sixth grade education. She reads, but it, it's always been a struggle. Fortunately for my father, he found himself in the military and was able to get educated in that process. But, but both, you know, struggled in, in their own right with that, but to, to truly be functionally illiterate and to not understand, that's really, you know, a difficult place. Sometimes I, I try to reflect on my family and previous generations and, and how far we've come. 
But when you think about basic things like healthcare, you think about the young mother caring for her baby or someone like my mother who's 86 and has to go see the doctor. And, and, you know, I know when I go to my doctor, I get my report on my app now, and I'm reading all of this verbiage. I'm like, what are these words and what do they mean? And so at a very basic level, connecting our ability to read and be literate to caring for our baby or ourselves is so critical. But we also know from research that when you have a household who's a parent, often a young mother, the single parent who is illiterate, her children's risk factors for their health are increased significantly. So her children's health is more at risk due to the fact of her ability or his ability in a single parent household to read and to comprehend. And so I think some of those things that we often take for granted are things that so many of our families struggle with. And so when they struggle in that healthcare space, and that's just one of those areas that is, we know through research that significantly challenges many of our families. And I even think about, you, you mentioned it, like you get that report from your doctor and they're using words. I don't know what these words are, but even think about like a prescription or, you know, the fat or personal hygiene. What if you didn't have a model as a child about personal hygiene? And then how are you going to find out what that's about if you can't read it for yourself, if you didn't have the model for yourself, if and and that just goes into taking care of myself, understand, you know, what foods to eat, what mm -hmm. things like that. I think there's such a bigger connection that sometimes we don't even realize if John, I'm like you, I, I'm a reader. I can read the prescription. I can read those things, but for individuals that can't, I think there's such an impact. There, there really is. And, and, and you make a great point, you know, it's, it's over the counter healthcare, it's nutrition and, and well-being. It's really understanding, you know, how all of those things work and then how you have to imagine the emotional impact and the mental health impacts that that has on that family or that parent or, or that individual in terms of just really creating one challenge after another. And it's a significant issue for us. And again, going back to, you know, in, in our role and our mission, although our vision is one where we believe everyone is empowered through literacy and certainly on the horizon, when that opportunity is, is right, we will try to help work with stakeholders to address literacy beyond education. But it's it's a significant issue that we know through generations that really affects the, the opportunity to earn income, to take care of one's health, to take care of one's well-being socially and, and, and health-wise and physically. All of those things are important. We do hope at least through our family engagement programs that we're giving resources and tools to allow that parent to develop some confidence in his or her own abilities to read and engage with their children. And you bring up, it just makes me think of day-to-day -day life. 
the going to the grocery store, driving, reading street signs, traveling, eating at a restaurant. I remember a story of someone that told me who she was diagnosed with dyslexia, I think in fourth or fifth grade. And from that time forward, well, probably before then, if she goes to a restaurant, she always ordered chicken because she knew she couldn't read the menu or read it fast enough where everybody else, yeah, I'm ready to order. She wasn't ready to order. So she said for her entire life, she goes to a restaurant and orders the chicken because she knew they were going to have a chicken dish. She just didn't know what it was going to be. And I think to myself, oh my goodness, like there's also that sense of shame and and that that well-being that you talked about there, John, so many impacts. Do you have examples or, or stories of people that have gone through this? Yeah, and you know, and, and you're so right, it influences and impacts so many areas of our lives. And, and to your point, even looking at the children of illiterate parents, and their increase in at-risk behaviors and delinquency and incarceration at a young age. We also know from research that our illiterate population or our struggling readers as well are less likely to engage in the democratic process. They're less likely to vote and such. And we see families, you know, you see it here in Louisiana. I'm sure it's across the nation where Adults, I know uh, of adults who have just gotten by their entire life because it's a shaming factor. It's, you know, struggling with an application for employment. It's the first time you go visit a particular healthcare provider or a clinic and you see, you know, all of the paperwork and such. And you see often people will bring, when they have someone available, someone to help them complete that paperwork. You know, I've done some work in, in the healthcare space too, as well, and working with nurse associations and other healthcare providers. And there's a, a significant recognition within that industry and that discipline of so many of their patients coming to them as struggling readers or often, uh, you know, illiterate. And they've developed programs and services to help those individuals to ensure that they have the access to healthcare that they need. So it really just, it ripples across so many areas of our lives, Terry, and it, it influences so many factors within our communities and our states. And we never want to get to a point where we equate quality of life and, and, and we as, you know, our fellow humans and people with dollars and cents, but it often always leads back to the economics of illiteracy and the cost of it. You know, it, it's generations of poverty correlated with generations of low education, little education, struggling readers, illiteracy. And then it just, those are often our families and communities who are less likely to vote, who are less likely to access healthcare, even when it's available, who are less likely to make sound, important decisions about their diet, about their finances and about their work opportunities in front of them. And so that's the, 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 the awareness that we continue to bring back to our stakeholders, to the business and industry leaders and to policymakers. And, you know, we do so in a way where we try to use the momentum of other 
quote unquote, hot topics to bring it back to literacy and how literacy influences those areas of, of our life. It does. It's far reaching. The issue of literacy has tentacles into every aspect of our daily lives and our well-being as individuals. I've even, you know, as in my work here at Learning Ally, doing so much with schools, educators, students, parents across the country, I even have heard examples of, you know, relationships are are severed and relationships get broken and and relationships that students and families have have this burden that goes into every aspect of their life you've mentioned so many of them john and as we as we talk about all of these societal impacts you know, there's so many bright spots. There are so many bright spots of incredible things happening. Tell us some of the bright spots of what's happening there at the center there in Louisiana. I know you got some because as we come to a close in this podcast, we got to leave with some bright spots. We do. And, and I, I certainly like that approach. I think one of the things that's the brightest for here in Louisiana is our work with the Louisiana Association for Business and Industry, Lobby, as they're known. They bring the voice of the business and industry community statewide. They are very in tuned and, and a great partner with us. In fact, I was just in a conversation with them this morning. They're likely going to do another profile article on us this fall in their premier magazine, which will go out to over 5,000 businesses across our state. And they understand the connection to quality education, to strong literacy, and the economic and business outcomes. And it's the roadmap to prosperity for Louisiana. That's the thing that we keep going back to. The intersection of literacy and economic development is the most critical intersection for our state, and I would say our country, that bringing more of those partners to the table is really allowing us that platform to where we're actually getting more opportunity and more resources to then take our educators <clears throat> and put them into K-12 settings where they can be successful. This past year in a pilot program with the department, we had some like 6,000 meetings and strategy sessions with literacy coaches around our state. Just in this one year, we've worked with close to 200 literacy coaches across Louisiana. We were able to successfully push through legislation with some of our legislative partners that will provide for a literacy coach in every school across Louisiana. So those things are all, all critical. We, we've, we've built legislatively and otherwise a strong platform and really bringing attention and awareness to this issue and why it's critical. Helping business industry, helping the community, helping parents understand, oh, the aha moment is, you know, hey, think about it. Your child from, from birth to eight years old, third grade, is learning to read. But from fourth grade on, they're going to read to learn. And while in education, edgy speak, if you will, that's, of course, we all know that, you know. But for many of us and for the, the, the community at large, it's a aha moment. You know, it's like, uh, Oh, I see. And so we've got to focus and give every child that strong foundation. And I think we're doing so. I think we're doing a lot of that great work here. 
We're also in discussions with national partners and, and hopefully um, soon we'll have a presence in, in our nation's capital to really continue those discussions at a broader federal level. So a lot of good things happening. I think there's more awareness right now on the importance of literacy at that third grade uh, level in particular than there's ever been. And I think that's a huge success for all of us. Wow. Those are some bright spots. Definitely. I love it. John, I think you have set the table for us. It's a real, I am envisioning this really, really long banquet table with all of these stakeholders sitting together, dining together around the same cause, the same purpose. And that's what it's going to take. We cannot let this issue ride on the backs of educators for them to, to struggle through. We have to fully resource and support our educators in our schools and districts, our families, fully support them in solving this, this literacy crisis that we have. John, thank you for today. My goodness, you brought us a wealth of knowledge. Thank you, Terry. I really appreciate this opportunity and, and look forward to continuing this discussion in the future. It is an important one. You're exactly right. We cannot let up. We can't put all the pressure in the classroom. This is an issue we all have to own because we all have an investment in what, what's at stake. We do. Absolutely. John, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, everybody. We are wrapping it up and we'll see you next week. Thank you for going on the journey today. Thank you for being present. Thank you for continuing to grow and learn. If we are going to make an impact on education, create significance in the lives of our students, we need you. If you want to learn more about Learning Ally, visit us at learningally.org and be a part of a transformational community.